Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a show that brings you tales of terrifying females from lore, legend, and everything in between. I am your host, Nikki Mandiola. Welcome back, listeners. I'll be real with you, I know I've been away for a while. One of my most loved relatives passed away, and I spent time with her while she was in the hospital and then with family back in Boston. Why am I mentioning this? Well, because this episode is being done in her honor. As a kid, she always loved watching scary shows and telling scary stories, even as she was totally freaked out doing it. When I visited her during her treatment, we told spooky stories and today's topic came up. We exchanged details of this tale and talked about visiting the Borden home when she was well again. So, in honor of her and the amazing life she lived, I decided to make this my first episode back. Because even when life is scary, we continue on, telling tales and remembering those who brought the light. This one's for you, Jen. So, without further ado, let's get down to it. This week's topic is Lizzie Borden. In Fall River, Massachusetts, on July 19, 1860, Lizzie Andrew Borden was born to parents Sarah Morris and Andrew Borden. Andrew's upbringing was relatively modest, and he struggled financially when he was a young man. Eventually, he went on to become a wealthy property developer. In fact, at the time of his death, Andrew was reportedly worth $300,000, which is about $10 million in today's money. Despite having the money to move to the more affluent area of the neighborhood referred to as The Hill, Andrew purchased a modest home on 2nd Street in Fall River. Lizzie and her older sister, Emma, grew up religious and were very involved in the church. When Lizzie was only three years old, her mother, Sarah, passed away. Three years after this, Andrew married Abby Durfee Gray in 1863. According to accounts, Lizzie and her stepmother were not close. Lizzie even mentioned that she referred to the woman as Mrs. Borden and only thought Abby married her father for his money. Right before the famous murders at their home, the Borden family got into a fight which caused Lizzie and Emma to go on an extended vacation to New Bedford, Massachusetts. The fighting was most likely the cause of Andrew deciding to give away property to some of Abby's family members. The sisters wanted a piece of land of their own and a fight ensued. On the night before the murders, the brother of their deceased mother, John Morris, came for a visit to discuss business matters with Andrew, which might have been another real estate deal. All of this brings us to the actual day itself. On the morning of August 4, 1892, Abby went to the second floor of the Borden home between 9 and 10.30 a.m. to make Uncle John's bed as he had stayed overnight with the Bordens. According to a later investigation, it was determined that Abby was facing her killer during the attack. She was first hit on the side of the head, right above her ear, which caused her to fall and ended with contusions to her forehead and nose. Abby was then hit 17 more times to the back of her head until she died. Now we take a look at the other happenings in the Borden home. After breakfast, Andrew had a chat with John who claimed he was going to visit another niece in Fall River. Then, Mr. Borden headed out of the house around 9 a.m. for his morning walk. When he returned at 10.30 a.m., he found that his key could not unlock his home's door, which seemed to be jammed, and knocked until the Borden maid, Bridget Maggie Sullivan, came to help him, struggling with the door herself. 
Andrew entered the home and then laid on the couch for a nap. Around this time, Lizzie claimed to have told Bridget of a sale at a department store in town and permitted the maid to go, but Sullivan just wanted to rest in her room on the third floor instead. At 11.10 a.m., the maid awoke to the sound of Lizzie screaming for help, claiming that someone had killed her father. Upon investigation, it was found that Andrew had been struck 10 or 11 times while he was asleep. Lizzie instructed Bridget to get the family physician who resided across the street. When he was found to not be home, she then told the maid to get a friend who lived down the street. At the time of the murders, Emma was away on a trip, so the only two people in the Borden home outside of Andrew and Abby were Lizzie and Bridget. From here, we'll move on to the investigation where things start to get even more bizarre. It should be noted that Lizzie was not considered a suspect at first. Due to her economic status and the fact that she was a upstanding church-going woman, it was beyond wild for her community to consider her the culprit. However, Lizzie's responses to the police were questionable and contradictory from the start. She had claimed to have been in the family barn at the time of her father's murder. Upon re-entering the Borden home, Lizzie reported she heard a groan or a cry for help. Two hours after this, however, she changed her story and said that she heard nothing upon entering the house. When asked where her stepmother was at that time, Lizzie claimed to have gotten a note from Abby telling her that she was visiting with a sick friend, but Lizzie thought that she was probably back at the house by that point. During this questioning, she asked for someone to check the Borden home for her stepmother, and of course, Abby's body was then found. A full search of the house was conducted, which resulted in the discovery of two hatchets and two axes in the basement. Despite the missing handle from one of these blades, they were not considered the murder weapons and were left in the house. Although a search of Lizzie's room was conducted as well, it was not done thoroughly. The police claimed this was a result of Lizzie complaining of being sick, which pulled focus away from the search. These same investigators were scolded later for their negligence. Considering these investigators were under the impression that such a high-class lady would never commit such a crime, it almost makes sense that they didn't check things more thoroughly. In fact, the Fall River Herald reported at the time that it was believed this crime was committed by someone outside the family. More specifically, what was referred to as a Portuguese laborer who had visited the home on the morning of the murders to ask Andrew for wages that were owed to him. Andrew supposedly turned the man away, telling him to return later. After the initial investigation, the sisters were allowed to stay in their home, and their friend, Alice Russell, stayed with them for support. On the morning of August 6th, just two days after the murders, Alice had an odd encounter with Lizzie. The woman walked into the kitchen to find Lizzie tearing up a dress she claimed to have gotten paint on. Lizzie then told her that she planned to burn the dress as it was ruined. This would be something Alice would bring up much later in the trial, but I've noted it here for context. Five days after the murders, an inquest ensued, which takes Lizzie's strange behavior in a different direction. In order to calm her nerves and help her sleep, Lizzie had been prescribed a double dose of morphine by her doctor, so essentially, the girl was even more all over the place. She would refuse to answer questioning, even if the response would benefit her case. As for her whereabouts during Abby's murder, that's unclear, but Bridget was said to have been washing the windows outside. When her father returned home from his walk, Lizzie claimed she removed Andrew's boots because he decided to take a nap. 
This was proven to be false, as the picture of his murder showed Mr. Borden still wearing his boots while lying on the couch. Her doctor, you know, the one who prescribed her that morphine, stated at the inquest that her odd responses were, of course, due to her being under the influence of the drug. Not able to really get her story straight, Lizzie was then put on trial about 10 months after the murders on June 5, 1893. She claimed at the trial that after talking with their maid, Bridget, and once her father was resting on the couch, she then went to the family's barn for about 30 minutes. A neighbor confirmed the story while adding that he saw Lizzie move from the barn to the house at around 11.03 a.m. Otherwise, no other neighbors or passersby saw anyone enter or leave the Borden home at the time of the murders. This, of course, tossed out the idea of the Portuguese laborer or anyone outside of the home committing the crime. One of the points mentioned at the trial was the lack of evidence found in the home or in Lizzie's possession, as well as no other bloodstains found outside of where the murders took place. Alice's whole paint dress story was included, but because it couldn't be proven this was the dress Lizzie wore on the day in question, despite Bridget mentioning Lizzie was wearing something similar on the day of the murders, it didn't go any further. Without the actual dress, or a murder weapon to speak of, the prosecution really didn't have much to go on. Another interesting moment in the trial was the reveal of Andrew and Abby's skulls. Upon seeing this new evidence, Lizzie fainted. After this spectacle, and the evidence, or lack thereof, presented, the jury went into deliberation. It took the jury an hour and a half to acquit Lizzie of the murders. After the trial, she continued to live in Fall River with her sister under the new name of Lizbeth. Due to the outrageous nature of the case and how Lizzie looked pretty suspicious throughout the whole ordeal, the people of the town shunned her from society. Just when you thought the family tension was over, in 1905, Lizzie and Emma got into such a bad fight that Emma moved out and the sisters would never speak again. Lizzie never married, and on June 1, 1927, Borden died alone of pneumonia. What I find so fascinating about this story is the fact that Lizzie has continued to be made out as a murderer in history. To be fair, there was some sketchiness about where her stepmother was or why she needed to burn a dress, but really, the police were not able to find anything else to prove that it was 100% her. Thinking on the side of her innocence, the woman's parents were just murdered, so if we consider how off her responses were or her inability to keep it together, it makes perfect sense. She could also have very well been in shock, because if we think of it otherwise, Borden was not only a murderer, but a manipulative psychopath. I mean, she did faint at the trial. To do that on cue would be pretty impressive. So listeners, we're left to consider what we want to believe versus what the evidence may say. So, where do you lie? On that note, let's conclude this episode. If you have any suggestions on mamas you'd like me to cover or a spooky tale to share, please send an email to maliciousmamas at gmail.com. If you're looking for more mamas in your life, follow Malicious Mamas on Instagram. Also, if you could rate, review, and subscribe to Malicious Mamas on your favorite podcast app, it would really help the show find other spooky tale lovers as yourself, and I would greatly appreciate the feedback. Until next time, keep it real, mamas, and keep your loved ones close. <laughs>